0: Isaiah and chapter 9, where we will be today. I want to talk a little bit in these coming weeks about uh, our Christmas theology. We talk about Christmas theology every year a little bit, and we will do so certainly again this week. You know that the reason for the season, as it's often said, is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while the angels surprised the shepherds with their appearance in the night sky that night that Jesus was born, the fact that the Messiah, the promised Savior, was born was not a surprise. It was a surprise as far as the timing goes, but it wasn't a shock that he actually was born. Jesus did not come unannounced. Many Old Testament prophets in many of their writings over many centuries had given specific promises about the coming Savior. He would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be a descendant of King David. He would be born in Bethlehem, the prophet Micah said. His birth would be miraculous, because his mother would be a virgin. There would be great sorrow and suffering surrounding his birth. He was going to be taken to Egypt as a baby. He would return to Israel and grow up in Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. He would be despised, and his ministry would be rejected. He would be crucified. He would be placed in a tomb, but his body would not decay. He would rise again." All of those prophecies and and many, many more, several hundred prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ written about him several hundred years before his birth. So when the angels appeared in that night sky over Bethlehem and announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, they they were undoubtedly shocked at that moment. But the prophecies were not unknown to them. And you remember, if you, I'm sure you do, you remember the great story in Luke chapter 2, after the angels were gone, the shepherds looked at each other and they said, let's go down to Bethlehem and they said, let's see these things that the Lord has brought to pass. That phrase brought to pass is, just, is, is a phrase implying fulfilled prophecy. Things that, things that God has made happen that he had said he was going to make happen. So he said, let's go see these things that the Lord has brought to pass. So the shepherds, being Jewish fellows, even though they were working their shepherds, they have been raised uh, learning the scripture and hearing things read in the scripture. And, and so when the angels came and sang, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Of course, they're shocked and amazed and wow, this, I mean, what a sight they'd see in the night sky. But when it's all said and done, they look at each other and say, Let's go to town because we want to see what God has brought to pass, and, and so and so they they were they were knew they were witnessing fulfilled prophecy. It was exciting. It was awesome. It was incredible. I imagine that in these next few years, uh, it's already happened to me a few times. You see things happen, and you hear things on the news, and you see things going on. And you say, "Wow, sounds kind of prophetic to me." I wonder what the Lord is bringing to pass. And of course, when we think about the, the, uh, the prophecies of the Old Testament, this one we're going to look at today, one of the most stirring, encouraging prophecies about the coming of the Savior, uh, very, very well known, particularly among the people in my generation, because we grew up every Christmas listening to the performance of Handel's Messiah. And that great, that great orchestral thing. And, and he took many lines right out of this passage of scripture and he put them right into that uh, great, uh, great uh, musical, I guess you'd call it, uh, uh, the, the Messiah. Uh, But anyway, so you may have, you have, in fact, every time I read it, the music comes to my mind because I actually sang it in college a couple of times with some big choirs. And, and uh, it's just, it's just an amazing passage of scripture. So look at chapter nine of Isaiah. We're just going to read two verses. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I know in many of your Bibles there's a comma after Wonderful But Hebrew students tell us that there's actually an adjective and a noun, then another adjective and a noun, then another adjective and a noun, then another adjective and a noun listed there. So so technically, uh, it would would read more more effectively and more efficiently and probably more correctly if we leave the comma out after wonderful. So instead of wonderful comma counselor, it's the wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, or literally, Peaceful Prince. So he said, his name will be called that, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Peaceful Prince. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this with words very carefully chosen because they were chosen by the holy spirit isaiah tells us that the messiah is going to be exactly what every sinner needs Notice he says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So even though we talk about the coming reign of Christ and the coming kingdom of Christ and the eternal kingdom of Christ, this prophecy is for us. He said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So we want to, as we look at these, uh, I have seven truths from this amazing prophecy, and, and, and I want to make it personal to us, because it is personal. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And, and Isaiah says the Messiah, the coming Messiah, that we look back to now is Jesus Christ. Isaiah was writing several hundred years, actually about 500 years before Jesus was actually born. Isaiah tells us that the Messiah is exactly what every sinner needs. And, of course, you know we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 tells us. So the Christ, the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, would be the ultimate answer for every destructive thing that sin has done to us. He is the solution for our sin problem. He is the remedy for every symptom of sin that infects us. Let me give you these seven truths from this fantastic, encouraging prophecy. Number one, the government, he says, will be on his shoulder. When Jesus Christ, someday in the future, returns to establish his kingdom, he is going to rule the world. We've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, when we've been looking at the prophecies of Daniel and so forth and we'll be returning to that in a few weeks but Jesus Christ is going to establish his kingdom and he's going to rule the world but in the here and now right now unto us a child is born unto us a son is given right now we need him to rule us We need God's authority. We need God's guidance. We need His protection. We need His instruction. We need to stop running around trying to trying to run our own lives, and we need to begin to do what the Lord Jesus Christ says, to live the way He wants us to live, and to speak the way He wants us to speak. Self-rule, as we often call it, doing our own thing out of God's authority is our doom. Self-rule is always destructive. There's one passage back in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Right at the very end of the book, it says, And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And when you look at the history of the book of Judges, it was one of the most disastrous times in Israel's history. It's about 350 years. Where it says, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and it was a mess. Self-rule is always a Destructive. It is doing our own thing outside of God's authority is our doom. Jesus came to deliver us from ourselves. The government will be on his shoulders. And then secondly, he's called his name the Wonderful Counselor. You know, sin reduces us to being foolish. It leads us to make all kinds of foolish choices. Sin, sin makes lies look true. Sin makes stupidity look wise. Sin makes error look correct. It makes wrong look right. And people deny that they need God and we think we can handle everything just fine. Yet as the wonderful counselor, Jesus came to rescue foolish people from the consequences of their foolishness. I have said this to you probably a hundred times. I'm going to give it to you again today very briefly. Uh, You've heard me say it over and over again. Our lives are built on our choices. What you and I are today and what we are going to be in the next 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 years or however however long God gives us, what we are now and what we are in the process of becoming is because of our choices. Our lives are built on our choices. And you can't change your life until you change your choices. I'm sure as I, I could probably stop halfway through. You guys could finish that sentence for me. You can't change your life until you change your choices. And you won't change your choices until you change your thinking. What we mean by our thinking is our values, our priorities, our, our desires, our perspectives, our motivations. All of what's going on down inside us. Our lives are built on our choices. We, we can't change our life until we change our choices, and we won't change our choices until we change what's going on inside. Do we change our thinking, the things that are, because we do what we do because we want what we want. And so the only way to change our behaviors is to change what's going on down inside us, to learn to want different things, to have to develop different values, to develop different priorities. You know who helps us do that? The wonderful counselor. The Lord Jesus Christ, He came to rescue people, rescue foolish people from the consequences of their foolishness. If we would just listen to the wonderful counselor Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. The second name there, Mighty God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son. He has all power. He has all authority. Because sin does not just reduce us to being foolish, it makes us unable to save ourselves. And as the mighty God, Jesus unleashes his power to defeat sin and death. And then he empowers us to do what we should do. Jesus, by his divine power, does for us what we could never do for ourselves because he is the mighty God. Number four, He is the everlasting Father. By His death on the cross, Jesus would make it possible for us to be in an everlasting relationship with Him. Having a Father, that is a relationship. He's our everlasting Father. He can take us as rebellious sinners. He can humble us. He can forgive us. He can welcome us into His family. He is the door that gives us access to God the Father. You all know John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the door that gives us access to God the Father. That great passage in John 1.12, As many as received Him, to them He gave the power, the authority, the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on His name. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ blesses us with all of the rights and privileges of being His children. No longer lost, no longer separated from God, we can live forever, as sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, because He is our everlasting Father. You could also translate it, He is our Father forever. All of our earthly fathers are eventually going to pass away. All of the favorite uncles we have are eventually going to pass away. But Jesus Christ is our everlasting Father. And then number five, the fifth truth there, the Prince of Peace, or the Peaceful Prince. In a broken, sin-cursed world, it's a very sweet comfort to know that we can have peace regardless of the circumstances. I must, I must honestly tell you that when our phones started ringing and the messages started coming in about the church roof blowing away and, and uh, of course, they made it sound like the whole roof was out in the street someplace and, and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the folks. And I'm very thankful for their calls. I'm thankful they were worried about our church building. It's great. But as we were driving up here, I must say I was I was quite peaceful. I wasn't chewing my nails and and uh, you know pacing and breaking out in a cold sweat. I was just kind of interested to see what the Lord was going to do with all of this. And he certainly uh, he certainly was very gracious and wonderful to us in the whole process. But you know every single one of us have troubling, upsetting circumstances that come to us probably every week in some way. And it's comforting to know that we can have peace regardless of the circumstances. Our lives are touched in many ways by corruption and selfishness and injustice and and it brings peace to our hearts that one day to know that one day God's going to set everything right. God's going to judge perfectly and he can give us peace right now. Unto us the child is born, and unto us the Son is given, and He is our peaceful Prince. I don't remember where I read this. I found it in my file this week on a little yellow piece of scrap paper I'd written down from someplace. I either heard it on the radio or driving down the road that, uh, although if I'm doing that, usually my wife writes it down, and this this note wasn't in her handwriting, so I must have heard it to the road someplace. But it's a great thought on peace, that God, God can give us Upward peace, inward peace, outward peace, and onward peace. We have upward peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's upward peace. That's peace between me and God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm no longer in rebellion against Him. By putting my faith in Jesus Christ, I am now at peace with God. It's a wonderful thought. That's my upward peace. My inward peace. I have the peace of God. The book of Philippians says that the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding can keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we have inward peace regardless of the circumstances. We have outward peace, meaning peace in our relationships. book of Proverbs tells us that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. We can have peace in our relationships when we are living our lives the way God wants us to. And we have this forethought, onward peace, that is peace for the future. A lot of things to worry about in this world. A lot of things to wonder about. But God can give us peace as we look to the future. Upward peace, inward peace, outward peace, onward peace. The peaceful prince can give that to us. Then number six, the sixth truth. Jesus' rule over the world is going to be eternal. We've developed this, uh, this quite a bit in our Daniel series. Uh, this, and, and, it's, and it's certainly true, but, but regarding our relationship with him... Again, we want to make this personal to us right now. Regarding our relationship to Him, we can know that God's grace will never run out. He will never get weary. He will never drop the ball. He will never give up. He will never fail. His kingdom will never end. Verse 7 says, "...of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end." upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with justice and ju- or judgment and justice from that time forward even forever i never have to worry about it. i wonder if god's going to forgive the sin that i commit next year no he will i wonder if that last moment before i die if there'll be something i'll think or say or whatever it's all taken care of He'll never drop the ball. He never gets tired. He never gives up. He never fails. Jesus' rule over this world, and His rule over me, it will be eternal. And then the seventh thought, and we're going to develop this, haven't really developed this a lot times past, when we've looked at this passage of Scripture, that last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God is going to, as we often say, Get it done. Call up some of my friends one time. What are you doing today? Oh, just out there getting it done. God's going to get it done. He is going to make sure that everything he has promised is going to happen. God has placed his zeal on every one of those promises you say what what does that even mean god has placed his zeal he says the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this well zeal is simply this i define it this way it is aggressive determination god has aggressive determination he is going to make it happen it means two things it means first of all that god is going to unleash His mighty power and His authority. So He he will guarantee that everything that was promised through the birth of Christ will eventually be delivered to every person who's ever come to Christ for faith and forgiveness. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. God is going to make sure that it happens. You remember the story. It's one of the more familiar stories in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to the temple. And he uh, this this particular passage that I read just just yesterday is in John chapter two. And uh, Jesus comes to the temple and and he sees all of the money changers as he called them. These guys buying and selling and they're selling animal sacrifices and they're you know they they they're selling pigeons and lambs and all these things. And and the Lord Jesus Christ makes a little whip and he goes into the temple and he starts whacking those guys and turning over their tables and he runs them out. And he says, You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he said, Get this stuff out of here and stop it. it. Interesting verse there in John chapter 2, I believe it's verse 17. It says, The disciples remembered a passage. It's in Psalm 69 where it says, The zeal for your house has eaten me up. It was a prophetic uh, uh, utterance for the Messiah. The zeal for the house of God just overwhelmed the lord jesus christ and he said we're not going to have a little discussion here i am running these guys out and he did and notice nobody fought back so whatever jesus was doing he had them all scared to death they were grabbing their money and running zeal that that aggressive determination that 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 god has to accomplish his will and then another great thought when we think about the zeal of the Lord of hosts. It is that Jesus Christ was willing. That is, there, there is a willingness to the Lord Jesus Christ which should be a tremendous blessing to us. Jesus was willing, when you think about it. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of heaven to come to this broken, groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all of its frailty. He was willing to go through the dependency of growing up in a poor family. He was willing to expose himself to all of the hardships of life in this sinful world. He was willing to do the Father's will at every point. He was willing to serve others even though when he deserved to be served. He was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to preach a message that would cause him personal harm. He was willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of his father's rejection on the cross. He was willing to die. It's an amazing thought when you think of what Jesus left and what he was willing to do. But it's not just in the Christmas story. The, the whole story of our salvation swings on this, this, this one thing, it hinges on one thing, the eternal willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he was not willing to do these things, we would be eternally condemned. And the willingness of Jesus Christ, the zeal of the Lord, is also our guarantee that he will continue to be willing for our, on our behalf even today. Jesus is willing to love you on your very worst day. He's willing to forgive you again and again and again. Right here and now, he is willing to be patient as you continue to grow and mature. He's willing to battle and fight on your behalf from evil outside and evil within you. He's willing to supply every one of your spiritual needs. He's willing to be faithful even when we're not. He's willing to empower us when we're weak and to restore us when we've fallen. He's willing to comfort us when we are discouraged and protect us when we've done foolish things. And the Lord Jesus Christ remains willing to do everything necessary to feed and guide and sustain and protect us until eternity becomes our home. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform all of these things are you and i willing one of the dark qualities of our sin nature is unwillingness (laughs) we're we're uh, we might just call it stubbornness but we're but very unwilling sometimes we're unwilling to do what god says if it doesn't make sense to us we're unwilling to inconvenience ourselves for other people we're unwilling to wait We're unwilling to be open and honest. We're unwilling to admit that we're wrong. We're we're unwilling to come, many people, unwilling to come to God His way on His terms. We're often unwilling to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Unwillingness is one of sin's powerful and damaging results. So in our passage today, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. is our wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He can be that for you today. Are you willing to follow Him? A willing Savior was born that Christmas so long ago to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there was no other way. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for all that you are to us. There's so much that you are to us that we don't even comprehend. We go through our day-to-day lives and we go through all the routines of life and often we don't, we don't even have a clue how many times you have saved us, how many times you have rescued us, how many times you have prevented certain things from happening that could very well have taken our lives or injured us in very serious ways. And Lord, we are grateful that you are our wonderful Counselor and our mighty God and our Father forever and our peaceful Prince. Lord, this Christmas season, may we rejoice in all that you are to us and take comfort in the fact that it is your zeal that's going to make all these things happen, both now and in eternity. Your aggressive determination to bring to pass your will Thank you, Father, that we belong to you. And we pray for our friends and loved ones who may not know you as their Savior. May they bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps even this day, and give their hearts to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.